Please remain standing as we hear from God's word. This reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Hey. You know, I was sitting on the couch probably, I don't know if it was like a month ago, and, you know, I wasn't thinking anything about the sermon. I was, we were watching football. I'm sitting there. It's me and my wife. Our daughter's in the room taking a nap, and uh, I'm sitting there, you know, watching TV, and, all, and, and, and my wife is kind of laid back, chilling. Her feet are kind of up, uh, up on the couch, and, you know, I don't know where a commercial happened or whatever. I didn't, nothing prompted me. I just kind of looked over to the right, and I was just looking at her feet, and I was look, thinking, I said, you know, I said, you know what? I would never scrub those things. <laughs> hey, now, you know, in my feet, I mean, my wife's feet, you know, they're, 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 they're nice feet, right? She take care of them. She get pedicures, like their nails, toenails be painted, you know? She, 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 uh, she takes care of them. I mean, I'm not one to talk, right? My feet, <laughs> you know, my feet. Um, you know, my, my toenails are sharp, you know? The only time I, I will clip my toenails is when it's, I start feeling them in my shoe, you know what I'm saying? So they grow for a while, a lot of times, if I'm being transparent. But I've seen other men's feet, though. I mean, and I've seen some vulgar feet, okay? I've seen some, some reckless, borderline disrespectful toes, you know? I mean, I had a friend, he uh, played Division One football, and... Um, we were all staying in this hotel one time, and it was me, a couple others, and him. And uh, he came in the room. We were all in there kind of chilling. He came in the room, kicked his shoes off by the door where you come in, right? The beds are far from the door. He kicked his shoes off by the door, jumped in the shower. In five minutes, the room was potent, smelling like feet. I said, what is going on in here? How did that happen? We, we in here waving the, uh, the hotel door, you know, opening windows. Man, feet are something else. You know, feet really are something else. And, um, you know, I, I think I've developed this over time. It's just I really do not like feet. I don't like toes. And 
And um, as it relates here, Jesus washed feet, you know, Um, and that's what we'll be kind of digging into uh, today. And I do want to look at three different things that we're going uh, about this picture and this passage. And I really think that is powerful in so, so many ways. And for one, we're kind of going to look at Jesus's method as he was living his life here on earth. We're going to look at Jesus' humility, and then we're going to look at Jesus' example to follow. And so before we dig into it, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll jump in. Well, dear Heavenly Father, God, we are just grateful that we get to open up your word, God, and that you Um, God, have set us an example. God, you've given us direction. God, you've loved us. God, you have um, done so, so much for us, God, in your grace. And I just pray that this morning, God, we would just walk carefully, God, through this John 13. And uh, God, just look at this intimate scene with with, uh, you and your disciples. And uh, God, I pray that that you would be glorified in it. And God, that that we'd walk away um, knowing exactly, uh, God, what we can do from it. God, in your name we pray. Amen. And so we kind of pick up here in this John 13, verse 1, and he, he starts off just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. If y'all remember a couple weeks back where Jeremy was preaching, he was in John chapter 2, and it was the return water to wine, and his, his, the, his mom, Jesus' mom had asked him, and he said, why, why you involve me? My time has not yet come. If you remember that, well, right now, his time has come, right? He says, I know that the time has come. The text continues, it says, having loved his own, there's this phrase, and having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or other translations say he now showed them the full extent of his love. And uh, Jesus says, and, and the text is having loved his own. And that's a unique phrase there. And it's talking about his disciples. It says, having loved his own disciples so far up to this moment, he's now going to show them the full extent of his love. And so to zoom out real quick so we can grasp the weight of, a, of, of what's about to happen, uh, we have to kind of zoom out. I just want to look at Jesus actually coming into the world right? This is the son of the living God. And because I think I kind of breeze past this all the time and don't stop to ponder the mystery and the wonder of it all. Son of the living God came to earth in the flesh to leave his mark, to bring hope to all people for the rest of time. All people for the rest of time. Jesus came in to leave the statement, right? To bring salvation for everybody, to bring the best news. What did he do? He spent 30 years as a carpenter, blows me away, right? Building who knows what, learning the temples, and then he spends three years doing actual ministry. That's mind-blowing. This is the man who's bringing salvation to a hopeless humanity for generations and generations and generations. I'm not one to question God's method, but I really, I really pondered that, and I'm like, man, 30 years of woodwork, you know? Son of God, like, wow, okay, you know, he was just in here kicking it, you know what I mean? Three years, of ministry, but that's really not even the crazy part. The crazy part is who he spends those three years with. And so as we know, right, we've been looking at a number of Jesus encounters with ordinary people in the gospels, how he interacted with these people. He was always focusing in on one or two people at a time, completely present with them, right? He can interact with people uh, for a moment or one conversation and their life be completely different, completely transformed, completely changed. But we also wanted to look at how Jesus interacts with his closest disciples. Sometimes we are the most impatient with people who we spend the most time with. But we see that Jesus, man, he was patient, loving, caring, 
um, with his disciples. And overall, his method wasn't to invest really broadly in all these people that he had interactions with. His method was to invest deeply um, into his disciples. His method was not to gather as many people as possible to hear grand sermons, spark a big movement of people everywhere on the planet to follow him while he was here. That wasn't his method. His method wasn't coming to the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and those who actually were in power, went in favor with them so that they would see that he's the son of God and rally everybody to follow him. He wasn't out here trying to just prove and make himself a big name while he's here so he can be the most famous dude who ever lived. That wasn't his method. That's not what he was trying to do. His method wasn't even to draw attention to himself really in any way as the son of God carrying salvations for generations and generations. No, Jesus, his method was investing in his 12 men. See, Jesus loved the world. He taught the multitudes, but he really gave his life to the 12. Jesus loved the whole world. He taught a lot of people, but he really gave his life to the 12. And these 12 were average Joes. These were some average Joes. These were some of me's, you know what I'm saying? Some, some just your average, kind of good, kind of not, just about a lot of things. You know what I mean? These dudes were laymen, right? Fishermen. These dudes were tax collectors. They had a zealot in there, right? A zealot, um, essentially, he would have been like a member of the Black Panthers back in the day, if y'all, remember, if y'all are familiar. That's what a zealot was back a couple thousand years ago. Jesus is 12 <laughs> that he chose to invest, invest in and give his life to. His method was so personal. He called these men by name to follow him. He built deep relationships with each of them. He had them on his side everywhere he went for three years to see him teach, to see how he responds to opposing views, to conflict, to see his heart for those who don't know him, to hear what he tells those who don't know him, to see his power in healing people, to see what makes him angry, to see what makes him cry, to see what his purpose is, to see his behind the scenes prayer life. He has the 12 in his life to see his work ethic, right? Jesus walked on water to show him his sovereignty over creation. He brought dead people to life to show them he has power over death. He taught parables to help them understand kingdom realities. He rebuked the Pharisees sharply in front of his disciples. But then he also appealed to those who were brokenhearted. He appealed to the drug dealers and stillers, you know, to show them that his heart is for the lost. Jesus gave his life to the 12. And, and, and the reason I zoom out to look at that is because we, Jesus knows at this point his time has come. And you get this intimate scene with him sitting here with these 12 men toward the end of his life. His time has come. So here we find ourselves, John 13, right? Here's the scene. They're about to feast, sitting around the table. The first thing that happens is Jesus reflects on who he is. First thing that happened, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Before any action takes place, Jesus stops and he reflects and he looks, he thinks about who he is. And he thinks about what God has given him and his reality coming from God, having all authority and going back to God. And who he is just happens to be the highest position that anybody has ever had in all of history. It's who he is. Jesus reflects on his identity, and he's secure in that. And what he does next flips the world on his head. 
what he does next, knowing that he has all authority and power, gets on his hands and knees, washes his disciples' raw bare toes. Jesus said, because of who I am and the authority I have, I am going to serve. Jesus' security in who he is enabled him to embrace the nature of a servant. Jesus' security in who he is enabled him to embrace the nature of a servant. You know, because for us, right, if someone were to ask you the question, who are you? Who are you? Now, how would you respond to that? What, what, what comes to your mind initially? Who are you? Would you respond with a job title? Man, I'm the CFO of Apple. You know, I'm the owner of the NFL, right? I'm an entrepreneur of a big company. Or maybe it's some of the subtle things that, 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 we, that we think wouldn't, we wouldn't say but kind of live. Like, I'm the, kinda, I'm, I'm the guy that works real hard all the time. I don't take days off right? Or what comes, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm the guy who's in this popular crowd, and so that speaks for itself. You know, you know who I am. Or, or I'm, oh, I'm the guy who's always in the know with the, with the styles, the trends, and you know how I get down. I cop those shoes before anybody knew about them, you know? Who are you? What comes to mind? Would you mention some previous achievements, right? Man, I'm a two-time NCAA football American, you know? Who are you? I'm an influencer on social media all across the world. Look, Google me, you know? Who are you? I invented XYZ. Is that, do previous achievements come to mind? Would you start with your family? Well, I'm a father of three, been married for X amount of years, and you know, my son's doing this now, great things. Two daughters doing this, great things. They're doing this, that, and the third. What comes to mind? And whatever comes to mind first, most often are the things that we find our security in. Somebody asks you, who are you? Most, if I'm a big time investment banker, that's what's coming off first. Well, I'm an investment banker on this firm, who, boom, I feel secure in that identity that I'm claiming for myself. And so often if I find the who I am and my credentials or what I've done, it will not hold up. It won't hold up. And the problem with that is, for one, all of those things that I just mentioned could be gone tomorrow. All those things I just mentioned could be gone tomorrow. My, my, my family, my job, all those things could be gone tomorrow. So then who am I? But then the other is if my credentials are my identity, then it only really enables me to throw my weight around. That's really what I want to do. Draw attention to myself. Who are you? I'm a boss right? I spend my time how I want, no eight to five over here. You know, you still working for the man? That's tough, you know, right? Who are you? Uh, or when we, when we affiliate our, who we are with our credentials, right, it, it gives us a voice to be heard rather than a position in the background. Often I'm throwing out a title. I'm trying to vie for respect. I need you to hear what I'm about to say next. It allows me to get to glory rather than moving aside and allowing God to be glorified. What comes to mind, we may need a shift in our identity and a shift in what makes us feel secure. The titles and achievements, that's what we do and that's what we've done. But that is not necessarily who we are. For those of us in the room who are in a relationship with God, if somebody were to ask you, who are you? First thing that should flood our mind, I'm a child of God. 
I'm loved by God. I'm chosen by God. God calls me his son. God calls me his friend, his ambassador, his masterpiece. I'm a light on a hill. I'm a peacemaker. I'm an heir. I'm an offering pleasing to God. We can go on for 10 more minutes about who God says that we are. And if we find our identity and security there, then that will enable us to live like Christ. We need to find our identity and security in God, in God alone. And I really believe this is the highest position anybody can have in the world, right? I, be- I truly believe that at the core of me. Oh, you're the owner of the NFL? Cool. I'm a son of the living God. <laughs> oh, you're a millionaire? Cool. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's a, such a humbling identity because we didn't do anything to earn that. It's so humbling who I am in Christ. This transcends anybody's achievements, anybody's titles. And our security coming from God alone will enable us to really embrace the nature of Christ. It'll really will own, it'll be the only thing that enables us to embrace that servant nature of Christ. And just so we're on the same page, that nature of Christ, that Philippians 2, if y'all are familiar with it, he became nothing. He made himself nothing, took the nature of a servant, one who has no rights, the lowly of lows. Jesus gets up from this table and he washes these grown men, bunion-oriented feet, right? I mean, these dudes' feet had to be grody, you know what I'm saying? Grody, right? It's, it's just when you want to say gross, but you need a little bit more emphasis, grody. You know, these mobs were probably nasty. I mean, foot washing in Palestine at the time, it was essential because the streets were dusty and people wore sandals without socks or stockings, open-toed, dragging through the mud, feet, all in the dirt, right? One commentary said, a Jewish servants actually didn't even wash their master's feet, though a Gentile servant might wash their master's feet. As a special mark of affection, same commentary said, a host or hostess might rarely wash a guest's feet. A special mark of affection. But it was not standard operating procedures in most homes by any means. It wasn't, it, it wasn't common um, at all. And so we can almost be sure that this is the first time probably in history that a rabbi gets on his hands and knees and washes those who are following him's feet. I mean, what a beautiful picture of Jesus's humility and what to do with authority, real authority that comes from God alone. The most high position and what we do with that is serve. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant. And Jesus knew. And I think about this and I think about Jesus and this journey. We talked about his method and how he'd been with his disciples through so much. And we get to this point and he's at this feast. And Jesus knows that still in their hearts, there's still some competitive spirit. There is still some selfishness and there's still some pride that's welling up. As a matter of fact, if you look at, if you look at um, this scene in Luke 22, they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. It's mind-blowing. So Jesus gives them an unforgettable lesson in humility and washes their raw, bare feet. For us, when we find our identity and our security from above, we will be selfless and secure as we serve. 
we will be selfless and secure as we serve. And so then lastly, what, what, what we see is Jesus gives us he, an example to follow. If you look down verses 12 through 17, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also wash one another's feet. I love it. They, he said, Jesus tells them, and you know, Jesus doesn't back down from anything. He's just so straight up, right? He says, you call me Lord and teacher, and that's, that is what I am. You know, that is, I love that, right? He's the king, and he's humble, he, he, and he just articulates it, right? That is exactly what I am. I am the Lord and king. Follow my example. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Serve like no other. And you know, this is challenging for me to even articulate to you all because honestly, in my flesh, I'm an only child, right? So I'm, I didn't have to serve much growing up, you know, like, or just, I mean, I had to, I had chores and stuff at the house because I was the only child, but nobody was calling me, oh, can you bring me this? You know, I'd have siblings. So when I would go to my cousin's house, I hated it because they'd be like, Austin, can you bring me the remote? I'm like, no, I'm not bringing you the remote. You know, Austin, can you, can you help me with it? No, you know? And so at the core, at the core of me, you know, I don't like to just serve. It's a, it's more of a discipline for me to serve. I actually been praying about it. But the reason I say that, uh, the reason I say all of this is because, man, I fall so short of this type of service mindset, this perspective of following in, in, in our Lord's footsteps. And uh, I would rather be served than serve. But God willing, you know, I've been able to try to, you know, serve my wife occasionally. You know what I'm saying? This is off the cuff. I'm getting back to my notes. How about that? <clears throat> hey, to serve. What does it look like? Here's one, a couple of small things I was thinking about. What does it look like to serve, but also to just assume a position of humility? Because I was thinking when I'm in conversations and groups and stuff, it could be a small group. It could be in groups of people that I'm just hanging with, people who I've just met. If somebody is throwing off um, something that they've done, or maybe, you know, I have a way of uniquely, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? subtly, this is exactly what I'm looking for, subtly matching whatever they just said to make me look good. I have a way of, of, of subtly drawing the attention back to myself in some way, shape, or form. What does it look like to assume the position in the background and ask them about whatever they just said? What does it look like to, to take the plates from everybody when we're done eating at the family gathering? You know, what does it look like to, to, to allow others to be in the spotlight, to put people in the spotlight. What does that look like in normal conversations? What does it look like at the home and family dynamics to lay your life down, right? God has given us as men and women, he's given us sovereign, sovereign guarding roles for our lives in the home. What does it look like, husbands, for you to love your wife like Christ loved the church, to serve her. Wives, what is it like to submit to your husbands as the head of the household? Let us be humble in who we are in Christ, selfless and secure. What does it look like for us to serve at our workplaces? What ways can I serve those who I'm around? Are they growing through hard times right now? And, and, and can, I bless, can I bless them with a meal, right? Do I even know enough about them to bless them? Maybe serving them looks like being intentional to build a relationship, we know loneliness right now is at an all-time high. People don't actually have friends. or are not actually talking to people. We know that. 
You know, maybe serving them looks like being full of grace and truth. Maybe like John 1.14, being full of grace and understanding their life, getting to know them. But then being full of truth, also sharing with them the gospel. Hey, here is what Jesus has done for you. He can break all of those chains that you've experienced. Maybe it's taken off of another person's plate at work, although you know that they would never do that for you. Those are the hardest people to serve. Maybe it's serving at church here, getting involved in our kids' ministry, right? I haven't been back there one time, but that may be what some of y'all parents want, you know? Y'all may not want me back there. I grew up in a, if you're bleeding, throw some dirt on it type of household, you know? So I don't know how much compassion I would have back there, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is me just also justifying my lack of service to the kids. A lot of ways to serve here, setup team, worship team. You know, there are ways, there are so many ways to serve around here. Hey, maybe what does it look like for you to serve in your neighborhood? To serve in the neighborhood. You got the reckless neighbor who, who's just a bad neighbor, you know. You got just, 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 just not a good neighbor, you know what I'm saying? What does it look like to go out of your way to, to serve them, right? Take the nature of a servant, go above and beyond for them. Take them a, some cookies, take them a meal, you know? Do, do, do you know your neighbors? I bet a friendship with you would bless them. Serving often looks like taking steps outside of our own comfort zone for the sake of others. Um, what does it look like to, to be a servant to those in our community groups? I mean, or just people who are in this body of Christ in general, you know, Personally, when Haley and I, when uh, we, we had Simone and Haley, my wife, if y'all don't know or are familiar, uh, Haley, my wife, had a couple of surgeries after um, the delivery of our daughter, Simone, and Simone went to the NICU. And uh, it was a rocky, really, three months for us after that. And I mean, we felt so loved and supported by so many of you guys in this room. It was mind-blowing. Our eyes were opened, honestly, a lot to what I'm talking about, that servant mentality. Our eyes were opened to how a lot of you all's hearts are this right here. I mean, people are bringing us meals, going grocery shopping for us. People are just sending us money. Like, I mean, text messages, hey, we're praying for you. You know, messages early in the morning, like, hey, been up praying, thinking about you guys. I'm like, that, that right there is, is what this heart is of Christ, and that's what the body of Christ is, is strong. One element the body of Christ is strong for, and what does it look like for us to continue to do that or to do that and live that out and live a life that is selfless, thinking about others moving in, washing people's feet? So many applications that we can have of, of, of washing one another's feet and really, really living this out. Jesus loved them to the end, right? And he showed them the full extent of their love. Look, he didn't just wash their feet, though. Their feet were going to get dirty again in a couple hours, right? They needed to be cleansed from the inside out. They need to be cleansed from the inside out. That's why he went to the cross to pay the penalty for all their sins, to cleanse all of us once and for all. Then he rose from the grave, so now his cleansing power and humble love is spreading throughout all the world, all the world from, for generations and generations and generations. People are still coming to a, a saving knowledge of the Savior because Jesus went to the cross as a humble, lowly servant. Jesus, the man of God, the king, the author of life, made himself nothing and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I pray for us.
Well, dear Heavenly Father, God, we, yeah, God, we just fall short. And I think about how you had all authority, all power. You really were the author, you're the perfecter of life in and of itself. God, I think about how you could have done anything that you wanted to do with that authority, with that power, but God, you you served. God, you took the lowly position, not lower than any person. God, you died on the cross for us to cleanse us, God, from the inside out. You, God, have brought us back to life, and God, we are so, so grateful. I just pray, Father, for our eyes. God, I pray for our mind. I pray for our, our hearts. God, I pray for our hands. I pray that we would be people, God, who, who would cling to that grace. God, we would accept our identity in you. God, we would know that you have given us who we are, God, and I pray that we would be a people who are just secure and selfless, God, and confident in who you say we are, God, not confident in ourselves. And So, God, we're grateful for this body of Christ, God, grateful uh, for all that you've done for us, God, and for all these things in your name. Amen.